The Christmas Gospel comes from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Like many people, over the last few years, I developed a, a pretty sizable list of television shows that I started watching during lockdown in 2020 and still am somehow still watching all the time. During that time, during the significant lockdown, I rewatched a lot of old favorites, proving to myself that I will never get tired of Downton Abbey and that Cheers is still the greatest sitcom of all time. <laughs> you can argue with me about that later. With millions of other people, I fell in love with Ted Lasso, his undying optimism, his genuine kindness, his undeniable flaws, and his friends, Roy Kent forever. <laughs> If you haven't seen it, the basic premise can be summed up in one sentence. An American football coach is hired to manage a British soccer team. What he lacks in knowledge, he makes for an optimism, determination, and shortbread biscuits. Other shows I tried, I couldn't quite get into them. I'm just not built for Game of Thrones, it turns out, or Ozark, or Tiger King, but, you know, to each his own. I thought for sure I would love the Great British Bake Off because it combines so many things that I love. Baking, 
a balance of cooperation and a little competition and British accents. But I just, I don't know, I just couldn't get hooked. What got me instead was a slightly different baking show, also a competition, sadly devoid of British accents most of the time. Here's the one-sentence description of it. Home bakers with a terrible track record take a crack at recreating edible masterpieces. It's part reality contest, part hot mess. The show is called Nailed It. In this show, three bakers are given an inspiration project to recreate, like a beautifully decorated cake or a gingerbread house or a Halloween-themed cookie scene or something. They have all the ingredients they need and a certain relatively short period of time in which to recreate this inspiration on their own. At the end, the audience is shown the original inspiration photo again, and then the bakers reveal their attempt at it by lifting a cover off of their creation while the host shouts, nailed it! <laughs> it is hard to describe the canyon of difference between the inspiration photo and the actual results. Even though you know it's coming, you know that the bakers have created a dinosaur cake that looks like it melted in a fire, or a gingerbread house that will collapse when someone sneezes next to it, or a Halloween cookie that is the stuff of nightmares. And yet, it's still stunning how bad the results actually are. <laughs> As a viewer, my reaction is always somewhere between a shout of laughter and a gasp of horror. And then you watch as the kind hosts try so hard to come up with something generous to say, especially when they have to taste these masterpieces. This texture is very crumbly, they say. Or, wow, your frosting has a uniquely gritty quality to it. Now, I love the show in part because it made me laugh a lot during a particularly bleak time in our human story. In the midst of anxiety and fear and isolation, laughter is, as author Anne Lamott puts it, laughter is carbonated holiness. It's a reminder that joy can find us, and we need it to find us in surprising ways, sometimes in very small ways. There we go. But underneath my laughter, as the brave bakers revealed their truly terrible results, there is also kind of a feeling of relief, a companionship in knowing that you're not the only person who has tried something and failed it. A sort of safety in numbers that others all around you are at some point looking at their creations their lives, their jobs, their families, their dreams, their Christmases, their attempts at building something, that at some point often we all look at some inspiration photo of what we wanted and then we look at our actual lives and we whisper to ourselves, ugh, nailed it? Not even close. We try so hard, we really do. But the extraordinary is so often just out of our reach. 
and we have to settle for the ordinary instead. Christmas is often a giant human reach for the extraordinary. We hunger for it, sparkle and joy, the promise that this year it will work out. The cookies will get baked, the cards will get sent off in time, the travels will go off without a hitch, the family will all get along, the gifts will all arrive and be appreciated, and no one will smile and hold up that sweater and say, thank you so much, while secretly looking for the receipt so they can return it tomorrow. No one will get sick. Our lonely hearts will feel loved. Our, our grief will take a vacation, just for a day even. And when we finally get to bed late on Christmas night, we'll be able to look back at it all and say without a hint of sarcasm, nailed it. The extraordinary is deeply seductive. Half the time we don't even realize it's what we're aiming for. And we do need big dreams and visions. I mean, what else is the ancient prophet Isaiah doing if not giving us these great big hopes that God is promising? Light in the darkness, joy in every nation, oppression, all kinds of it broken into pieces, weapons burned, no longer necessary, fuel instead for a fire that lights our way. There will be justice and righteousness and endless peace, God says. It's coming. Those words are thousands of years old. And it's hard not to look around at the world and wonder, where is that exactly? Even just a little bit of it, endless peace and freedom from oppression and joy increasing in every nation and weapons we don't need anymore. When exactly? We see that ancient vision of inspiration and we see the world that we have created and the canyon between them is stunning. The world was not so different 2,000-ish years ago in Bethlehem. Unjust tyrants made unfair demands on people whose resources were already stretched thin. Families became refugees overnight when the oppression in their day became too much to bear. There was hunger and fear and disease, broken hearts and lonely hearts and deep anxieties about the future. Through it all was a thin but powerful thread of hope that God's vision was still at work, that one day all would be well, but it was hard to hang on to even then. Almost impossible a lot of the time. We've told the story tonight that you just heard. We've told this Bethlehem story so many times. We've heard it so many times that maybe we forget how absolutely ordinary most of it actually is. A baby born to frazzled parents who are on the economic precipice and must find whatever shelter they can one day at a time. Meanwhile, people all around them are just going on with their jobs, doing their thing, innkeepers, shepherds, tax collectors, census workers. 
because one more baby in the world is really nothing to pay much attention to in the grand scheme of things. People are stretched thin, resources are hard to come by, the guy in charge has very low polling numbers, none of this is exceptional. None of it is unique. Although there is one unusual moment, I'll give you that. The shepherds who are just out there doing their jobs, when suddenly the sky is filled with angels singing and a message just for them. Do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news of joy, great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the one God has been promising all these years. And this is what you should look for, an ordinary baby wrapped in leftover cloth, lying in a manger. Now, the angel part of that is admittedly not something that happens every day. But even that remarkable moment lasts only a few seconds. And then those extraordinary heavenly voices turn you right back to the most ordinary thing, the baby, wrapped in leftover pieces of cloth, sleeping in an animal's feed trough, because that's the only place his parents could find. That's the plan, God? Nailed it. In Hebrew, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. Regular old bread. Not cake, or cookies, or divinity fudge or shortbread, or lefsa, or saffron buns, or fruitcake, thankfully. <laughs> Nothing unusual or fancy, decorative or beautiful, just everyday bread. In Jesus' day, it was probably made with wheat or barley. It had to be ground into flour by hand in a slow, laborious, probably kind of boring process. If it had yeast, it was probably a starter you had left over from the bread the day before. Or you just made it flat and baked it in a clay oven with a fire made of kindling and animal dung. A process repeated day after day after day. If you're looking for the extraordinary, this bread is not it. But when Jesus looked around for something to express the kind of sustenance that God provides, the way we can ask God for our daily needs, our basic needs, he prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And when he wanted to give people an image of the kind of constant presence that he would be with us, even when we couldn't see him anymore, he said, I am the bread of life. When thousands of people around him were hungry and nothing was available, he took the small lunch of a small boy and he turned five loaves of bread and two fish into a banquet with leftovers more than you could count. And when he sat with his friends the night before he died and yearned with his whole heart to give them a sign, a meal that would last, he picked up the bread in their meal. And he said, this is my body given for you. It's easy to look past the ordinary. It's 
surely God must be in the masterpiece, the mountaintop, the sunrise, the high note. And sure, we'll find God there. But this night is not about our finding God. It's about God finding us in the most ordinary things. In a little town named for daily bread and a baby in a feeding trough and parents who had no idea what they were doing and shepherds just doing their jobs in the middle of a world run by the powerful with no end in sight. I hope that your Christmas is extraordinary. Such a gift when it is. Sometimes it is. But when it isn't, when you sigh about what went wrong and what didn't measure up and what still hurts and who you still miss and the questions you still have when the sun rises tomorrow, then, beloved ones of God, be not afraid. Because God loves the ordinary. God chooses the ordinary. God makes holy all the ordinary daily bread, terrible cake disasters that are our lives. Fear not. We have heard good news of great joy for all the people. If you're feeling extraordinary tonight, Christ is born for you. If you are feeling totally ordinary tonight, Christ is born for you. If you are somewhere in the middle with no idea how it's going to turn out, Christ is born for you. For God chooses you. All of us messy, ordinary humans holds us up, up like a loaf of bread and blesses us even when we're broken, loving us even when we are a mess joy to this ordinary, extraordinary world and to you this night and always. Amen.